0: Welcome to the Explorer Poet Podcast, an exploration of the blurry line separating our physical world from our abstract realities.
1: You talk about something called the soul's high adventure. Man, this. Born with a certain functioning. A kind of house of meaning that we dwell in. A clandestine land found underneath your floorboards. These represent a common human inheritance. The common vocabulary of rituals and symbols. This let you know where you are. Such a, such a hero has done so-and-so, and so there. is your model.
0: What am I going to do, quit? That's not an option. You got to keep on keeping on. Life's a garden, dig it? You make it work for
1: you. You never give up. Follow your bliss. I mean, find where it is and don't be afraid to to follow it.
0: Conversations and stories, myths and reality, science and the gods we worship, the esoteric and the everyday. Come explore with me. Hi, before we get into this conversation, I want to let you know about something I've been working on for a while and which is now available for free on my website. It's a piece called Myth for Modern Men, A Letter to My Son. Again, you can download this for free on my website, explorerpoet.com. I wrote this letter to provide a guide which my son can reference during his own individuation quest, kind of like a map for growing up, maturing, and finding his way in this chaotic world. Today, perhaps more than ever, the world needs men who are balanced, aware, emotionally intelligent, and driven to become whole individuals who can contribute to families, communities, and society in a healthy way. Rather than encourage the process of self-discovery, modern institutions often force men into compliance or predetermined roles. Society seldom encourages young men to explore their values nor think critically, and they don't teach necessary truths about the self, myth, psychology, emotions, fulfillment, education, money, careers, spirituality, relationships, or sex. In Myth for Modern Men, I tackled these topics and many more in a manner that I hope is clear and digestible. Again, you can download Myth for Modern Men for free by visiting my website, explorerpoet.com. Okay, thanks, and please enjoy this conversation. My guest today is Rosa Lewis, who is a writer, guide, podcaster, and participant in Imaginal Journeyings, a project exploring how the imaginal realm can be unlocked on a global scale. Rosa has lived a fascinating life in which she's gone to her own depths, what she calls the hell realms, as well as the realms of the gods, and come out the other side with much to share. In her practice, she combines Buddhist emptiness, Jungian shadow work, tantric embodiment, the archetypal realm, mysticism, and a radically new way of relating to the heart. I found Rosa to be open, deep, and extremely insightful. I truly enjoyed our conversation, and I hope you do as well. Okay, hi Rosa. Hi. Welcome to the Explorer Poet podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I reached out to you because I found you and your content online through first through social media, but then I went and perused your website, and I saw that you you're actually doing a lot of different things, which is exciting because uh, it seems like you're somebody who's very interested in things, and I do the same thing. But um, you're a writer, you're a guide, you have podcasts, and then you're also part of a group called Imaginal Journeyings. And I you know, as we jump into the conversation, I want to cover all of this with you, but there's actually something that you wrote on your website that there's two, there were two quotes that I took from your website that were really interesting to me. And um, I thought that maybe they could be a starting point for our kind of jumping off. And the first one is this quote that says, we are all an expression of the divine intelligence of the cosmos. And so I, I was hoping to get your thoughts on that. But then the other one is, it says, uh, my own intimate connection with the universe has taken me through the hell realms and the realms of the gods and out the other side. And to be honest, that second one, I think the first, the first quote about the divine intelligence in the cosmos is interesting. But the second one is really interesting to me, uh, particularly this, exp- this, this, way of you, this way you have of saying that you've been to the hell realms. So maybe we'll start with the, the first one that we're all an expression of the divine intelligence of the cosmos, and then we'll move to the next one. So, uh, what, what does this mean to you? Uh, we're all an expression of the divine intelligence of the cosmos.
1: Yeah. Um, just, uh, just two small, easy quotes. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's right. I like to, I like to start easy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it's, I guess it's my specific way of talking about that everything is Buddha nature or everything is this kind of like underlying expression of it's almost like the same universal soup thing that is making me right now as it's making you and the listeners and this plant and these things that we're surrounded by. Um and there's a way that through the process I went through, there's there's kind of like a, a a sort of it's like meaning flexible way of being and sort of fractal nature of how I relate to things. and but I think that comes through in my language in a way where I can go really far down kind of like very specific, quite sort of esoteric, very deep um like experiences around cosmic intelligence and like the universe's intelligence and how that, how you can experience that directly. And, um, it can like show you really insane things, um, that are just like, awe inspiring and amazing, amazing. Uh, but also I really like the, the, the phrase we're all, uh, an expression of the divine intelligence of the cosmos, because it, it can sort of just like slot into almost like any meaning making system where, um, I suppose if people are like super atheist, then it doesn't fit. And that's kind of my background I grew up in, but, um, you know, if, if people have some element of like, oh, this is a bit of a mysterious, um, somehow kind of like spiritual thing that is that we're in. And there's some element of mystery and intelligence beyond what really, of materialist science can explain um then just as like a ground floor it's almost like obviously we're all an expression of it because this is what it's doing in this moment and we're all we all have this intelligence in us as humans it's like quite a large amount of intelligence as a plant it's a bit more simple but there's still like intelligence in there that's part of the sort of unfolding um so yeah, with language, I really like stuff that fits in people's meaning making systems and isn't sort of like, um, gives people a chance to find that thing in their own experience, rather than having to just take, like someone else's experience as kind of like, true or more, more true. Um, so, yeah, does that answer the question?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a great start. It's You said a lot of interesting things in there, but that last part about accepting or giving people language where they can everybody can kind of come to a point where they they understand the experience um rather than giving them the meaning or giving them a phrase to understand it is like um i actually think that that's where religion comes from and it's interesting that you said you grew up in an atheist background i want to talk about that as well but i i really do feel like the more i look at uh philosophy, psychology, the history of religion, it seems that what religion is, is somebody trying to get everybody else to accept their experience of life, their experience of reality. Whereas uh, you know, the experience of life doesn't have to be so dogmatic. It doesn't have to be so based on one person's experience, but there can be language that, that helps anybody to, but that anybody can express that experience through. And I think this phrase, like you're saying, does a good job of that. I also think that um the, the way that you talk about this emerging experience. I guess the experience of like being a human being and looking at the universe um, is pretty fascinating to me because I like to I like to look at it from where did the story start? The story started way before humans were conceptualizing stories. The story started way back when, and you can call it. Uh, the creation—you can call it the Big Bang, whatever it was—something appeared, and then through the processes of what we've now discovered is physical science, you know, physics, chemistry, geology, whatever. Eventually, all of a sudden, biology appears, and then through the furtherance of biology, all of a sudden, this intelligent life appears, and then all of a sudden, we have to explain it all. Um, and but in a in a direct line, you can see how what you're saying is true—that that we. That we are that experience of some kind of intelligence something that's been around
1: yeah yeah totally yeah it's really nice to look at things in the context of like the full spectrum of yeah the universe before humans and how we're expressions of things
0: so how did you get to that point though if, if you grew up in an atheist environment i'm assuming you, you just mean like your your um, home environment from your childhood there wasn't like a religious uh, structure. How did you get to the point where this was interesting to you?
1: I guess it was, yeah, my parents that were atheist and and um, yeah, definitely like atheist rather than agnostic. and that was sort of like what I believed growing up. And then I guess I had a couple of things I went to like a Christian school, but I just thought it was all made up <laughs> um. And um, it's interesting. I think it's it's helpful for me to come from that place because it's sort of like having a full spectrum of understandings of ways of looking in in the world. Um, and then I had a ton of like, looking back now, I had a ton of like mystical, energetic experiences, but I just sort of wrote. I just wrote them off in a way. I just didn't really pay that much attention to them and, and kind of, um, I guess I didn't have the frame to connect with them. Um, and then when I was in my mid twenties, I did some really deep Jungian shadow work and I had a, like, yeah, during that I was having all sorts of sort of like shamanic energetic stuff, um, going on and really and synchronicities, and really deeply connecting with other people's experiences, and even then, I was still sort of like, just I don't know. Somehow, my rational mind was just sort of like, meh. Didn't didn't put didn't put two and two together. And then, um, yeah, did a process where I was kind of like doing my own therapeutic process in a group setting, and that was super transformational. It almost like changed the world. It it shifted so much sort of emotionally and energetically that the whole world kind of took a different shape afterwards. Um, and there was quite a sort of specific kind of like moment of sort of disappearing into a, a kind of like a transcendental space, like quite, uh, quite sort of dark rather than this more kind of like beautiful like transcendental experience that lots of people have. Um, and then kind of popping out the other side and being like, Oh, so the world's like this. And, um, that was so powerful that I was like, Oh, I'm going to really commit to this, to just doing this. This is like, there's some element of kind of like truth and aliveness and freedom that I've found has come from this process of feeling really deep, difficult stuff that you get on the other side where I'm like, Oh, this is what I'm going to do with my life. So it kind of became my main uh, focus. I did a lot of practice around it. And then, um, it was almost a sense of like, uh, yeah, it was very union in the sense it's almost like the more shadow I started clearing out the more sort of like archetypal, mystical, transcendental, uh, stuff started showing up um i actually got a bad concussion at one phase which um sort of shook me up enough to like really take my rational mind offline for a little while and then that kind of like opened me up even deeper so there's a couple of synchronicities in terms of that and then um yeah just going deeper and deeper and deeper into into that stuff
0: oh man um this concussion this did this occur during one of these sessions or just it was around the same time period.
1: It was a few years later, was it, uh, maybe two and a half, three years later. Um, in between that time, it was kind of like, you know, um, just moving shadow stuff. And then, yeah, yeah, this was like a big shift in experience.
0: Wow. That's interesting. So my background in comparison to your background, I grew up in a very religious home where, uh, I was taught that certain things uh, from the religion were absolutely true. And there was a lot of fear around performing uh, or living your life in a way that wasn't in compliance with the belief system. And so it's interesting to me that if I compare the two, uh, the systems were actually different, but would you say coming from this background where you were taught to be an atheist, you were still taught that things were very black and white. They were still very, very clear. And so you, it sounds to me as if you came upon, obviously you got to this place where you felt like you needed some, some shadow work um, and and maybe you were struggling with something. But then once it, once you experienced that and you, you start to, rather than turn to some religion that's outside of you, you were turning inward. But then even just through that process, all of a sudden there started to be, uh, maybe some imagery or some symbols that started to, to strike you as relevant, even though your whole life you had been taught that these things weren't, that these were just, just Mm -hmm. some kind of matter of psychology or something.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what strikes me, there's something about, I've, I've spoken to people who grew up in very kind of like dogmatic religious environments. And I think there's a way that when you grow up in that environment it's like first you have to undo that and then you're sort of in a I think I'm I think I'm lucky in the sense that it had this sort of scientific dogma but that almost seems it's sort of like the value of being of rationalism being rational and that's kind of like a, a, a certain amount of freedom that I then had to grow out of
0: Yeah, I can see almost how, um, how atheism or that rational mindset, whatever started at some point, you know, around the enlightenment and rationalism with maybe Descartes. uh, it led to this thing where slowly there was this scientific process and then people started thinking, oh, it's more and more important to pay attention to our minds, uh, more and more important to pay attention to data and verifiable facts. And really what it, what it. What occurred was the entire Western world became more externalized. It became much mm-hmm. more of an extroverted society where, where looking inward wasn't even valued in the same way. Um, the only place it seems to be valued is, is people who can produce art. And even then, if you look at a lot of the art that's produced in the modern day, it's, it's pretty devoid of, of a lot of depth and some of the s- symbols or uh, kind of richness that we need. And from that, from that developing world, we get somebody like Carl Jung, and uh, this group of people who are look—they're trying, you know. And when he started out, he's trying through a rational way to look at these things that can't be explained in a rational way. It's—it's um, it's pretty fascinating that that—that that became your release then from that—that's wholly rational side of life, and it sounds like uh, there, there began to be a little bit more of a a balancing that was coming about.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally.
0: Yeah. And so, so then going from there into that next quote that I shared with you uh, from your own website um, about going into the hell hell realms, but also the realms of the gods. What is that? And and you don't, you feel, you don't have to speak directly to your personal experience, but what does it mean to go to the hell realms? How could, how could somebody take that?
1: It's like, there's a, Level of suffering. the The simple thing is that there's a level of suffering that it is possible to experience. That's just like unimaginable. It's almost like if suffering's on a not to a hundred scale, it's like you know a thousand or something. It's just it just breaks. It just breaks everything. Um, And I know even when you know I spent a few years kind of in and out of this this place. And I know that even when I was in it and then out of it for a few minutes, I was like, holy shit, I can't even connect to what that was, like even with that amount of closeness to it. And I'm put, you know, quite a bit of distance from it now. So I just it's like beyond my my sort of com- comprehension. Um yeah. And there's something about it's almost like um one of the reasons to call it the hell the hell realms rather than just sort of suffering as well is i was in a state where time became very different so time was super dilated um i think for anyone who wants to kind of like get a sense if they've done a large psychedelics dose or something like that that can maybe give you a sense of how that can happen and then um yeah just a, a sort of lack of boundaries energetic or sort of emotional boundaries between me and the rest of the universe so then you're kind of just it's almost just like being flooded with the all of the like dark suffering stuff that exists outside um with kind of yeah no sort of limit of how how deep and how intense that can that can go um and yeah my my sort of belief is is that it's possible to kind of have mental insights that where just from connecting to like the light of transcendental experiences where you're just kind of like getting a broader perspective opening more and more seeing more but if the experiences are really like embodied on an emotional level and an intuitive level it's like the light and the dark have to balance each other you can only open to as much light and and seeing and expansiveness as you can to the kind of like dark and um otherwise you're sort of like yeah out of balance in a way where the you can't experience the thing because yeah you're not letting it in if that makes sense
0: that makes a lot of sense to me i've uh, I've been thinking about this very topic for a, a lot lately, and um, it's I almost think of it like a tree. And I know trees come up all the time in mythology, and it makes a lot of sense because if you think about a tree, obviously it needs the sun; it needs the light of the sun in order to grow. But at the same time, if its roots aren't deep enough, then the sun will actually kill the tree. It'll it'll burn it up. It, it doesn't have the fluids to keep it alive, and so from a from the perspective of the tree then it needs to go as deep as it can into the dirt into the the underworld is, is the mythological way of thinking about it or the symbolic way of thinking about it or in our in our Western world hell is another way of saying it is like you have to go uh, if we are the tree then we have to be be able to go as far down into that dark scary cold, wet place we have to be able to experience it and the more that we experience that, the more that we can we can withstand the light of the sun. In fact, the more that we can uh, that we can seek out the light of the sun. And so, if, if the sun being consciousness, awareness, um, from a Buddhist perspective, seeing things as they truly are and accepting them as they truly are, then in order for us to do that, we have to do what you're talking about, which is actually feel a lot of discomfort, a lot of pain, a lot of sorrow and misery and um, the more that we're able to go into the depths the, the higher we can go um, in, in the heights and uh, one one of the reasons I I ask you about all this stuff is for this very top or this very reason because it seems uh, you know coming from the religion that I came from, it seemed like every time you went to a religious service every time you sat in church, the objective was to make you feel good in some way obviously they would make you feel bad by telling you all the things you're doing wrong but then they would they would make it seem as if truth always felt good and so <laughs> uh you know if you're going to pray to a god then you'll feel his love inside of you you'll feel the warmth of the spirit you'll be happy you'll have joy and it almost seemed as if spirituality is lightness and i see that a lot not just in religion but in a lot of um, a lot of modern spirituality, a lot of, um, a lot of people just trying to feel at peace all the time through lightness. But what happens is if you, and this is, this is how I experienced it in my own life. If I hadn't burnt up some of the, the, the trauma or the emotion that was still sitting with me, if, if that still sits with me in a, and it, and it burdens me, then when I see things that are light, that are supposed to feel good. I don't have the capacity to feel the good because I'm still carrying the bad. And so in order to actually experience that lighter side of spirituality, that uplifting, positive, you know, compassionate side of spirituality, you actually have to burn up all the negativity that you're carrying with you. And you can only do that through things like tears and through, uh, you know, through some kind of psychic death where you do have to go into an underworld and separate from this thing that you used to be so that you could let it go it really does feel like a death
1: yeah 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 it's really great um yeah the death of and there's something as well around the death it's it's like um yeah taking on lots of coping mechanisms ways of being things that keep you away from truth and depth and realness and love um because they feel scary or they feel um yeah stressful or you're worried you're going to get punished or all of these things and the kind of like letting go into truth or love and just letting that sort of take over is, it in a way a death I think that's yeah one of the best words for it
0: you could think of it as stories. I think of it as stories all the time. Um, you know, it's this story that you have to let die inside of yourself, which also means that you have to let the character that you were playing die. And you have to let the, whatever end result you expected from that story, you have to let that die as well. But then once you've let it go, uh, you, you know, you're not, you're not, um, dwelling on it anymore. And you can actually feel that in your body. You have this, you can feel like, a just a change it's just a shift where you're just a little bit more present and as things come at you that previously would have made you shriek, shrink or you know the the modern term for it like be triggered um you can experience those things and even if you feel the even if you can remember the way that it used to feel it doesn't feel quite the same once you've actually dealt with that death
1: yeah totally yeah
0: um Okay. But what about the, the other side of it that you're talking about? You've also been to the realm of the gods. So after you've traveled through the hell realm, what is it? What is What do you mean by to the realm of the gods?
1: Yeah. So it was also, it was kind of like happening simultaneously. Um, I'd be, you know, in different parts at different times, but, um, I spent a lot of time in this very, yeah, like time dilated synchronous universe where, um, I was essentially just like hanging out with the universe and getting kind of like direct, I guess you could call it direct insight that feels a bit sanitized compared to what it was. Um, It's almost like the whole of the universe just came alive into this, um, yeah, sort of like divine intelligence. And um, it was just sort of taking me around and showing me all of this stuff, both in my inner experience and out in the world. Um, and yeah, this bit, and and this bit sort of like, <laughs> I don't talk about this bit so much because I think it makes me sound, <laughs> people, it's almost like, um, I don't know if people have anything to relate to this to, but it, it's kind of like an extreme level of synchronicity. Okay. It's how I would describe it yeah, it was sort of like just being able to ask the universe questions about things. And then it would kind of like take me on a little mission that would show me things, or it would sort of like almost kind of like set up this whole experience, uh, like lesson for me, where it'd be like kind of implanting things. And then I'd go on a really sort of like deep, painful, stressful, or like beautiful experience. And then it'd be like, and now you can see, blah, blah, blah. Um. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, uh, well, first of all, I don't want you to think that I'm laughing at you or that I think you're crazy because uh, I don't think you're the only one who's experienced this. In fact, I think mm-hmm. that that's why there's there's so many different um, philosophies out there for, or, or different uh, stories that are out there uh, that are all helpful. But when you talk about uh, you know going on these little experiences or having these things laid out for you, seeing these synchronicities, are you talking about in daily waking life are you talking about in moments um are you talking about like uh heavy psychedelic trips meditative sessions uh in your sleep in dreams where is this actually taking place
1: yeah so it was um all of those things so it was just it was just my my entire life became this thing there was nothing that was outside of this so for the first three months I was really really immersed only in the present moment in a way that is sort of still true now but not to the same degree where I just had zero context for anything it was just like whatever was in front of me I was kind of like and that came from just doing a lot of shallow work and a lot of meditation a lot of really really deep meditation um and then I didn't take any psychedelics during that during that time at all, but it was often a lot like a psychedelic trip, so um, kind of like really deep big transcendental, energetic experiences with um just sort of journeying through kind of inner stuff and transcendental stuff. um but also it was out, in, yeah, it was also out in the world. It was my day-to-day life. So, um, yeah, there's a way in which everything became a synchronicity and, and it it was sort of part of it as well was really figuring out like what is going on with this. So I really brought that kind of like rational side of me in. It's almost like that bit never left. And I was just always sort of like curious about and this was part of the sort of connection I was just asking like a million questions about everything and being like what about this and how does this work and what about this and then kind of like turning that in on myself for a while so for quite a while with the sort of like getting very clear insights and conversations and things like that I had in my head that I'd sort of like put that onto archetypal figures and and people and sort of thought oh I'm um you know, I was quite inspired by Alan Watts. And for a while I was like, oh yeah, I'm sort of having a conversation with Alan Watts. And then it was sort of like, shortly after that, I kind of like started to think, yeah, but what does that even mean if this person is, um, you know, dead and like, yeah, how does that make any sense? Um, And then it's sort of like, by kind of like turning that rationality around all of this intelligence that I was getting that was um yeah I obviously can't say where it was coming from but it wasn't certainly wasn't coming from inside me because it was loads of stuff that I just had no way of knowing or understanding. Um then it all just sort of like unraveled into oh this is all just the sort of innate intelligence of the universe and the cosmos. It's like I'm that, it's that there's kind of no like to categorize and separate it doesn't make any sense because, um, it's almost like more just the meaning that gets put onto that. Um, you know, whether something's me like receiving something as Alan Watts, or whether it's me receiving it as just the universe, uh, talking to the universe, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of just intelligence knowing itself. Um, I can give it. Should I give a story, a funny story about the Alan Watts thing? Yeah, just absolutely. To give, yeah, give an it. example. So, like, this would happen when I was walking around and things like that. Um And yeah, maybe two examples. One is like when it was more just the universe. It was like, okay, we're going for a walk, and then it took me out my house, and then you know, I lived in a really beautiful part of the the, the UK with really nice countryside, and I was a walk I'd been on like, you know hundreds of times. And then it was just like, take me off on the path and be like, oh, if you go down here and walk along and and just took me to this insanely cool, like ravine thing that I literally, you know, never knew was there. would never have discovered, but it was kind of like down a really windy path, like through some woods with no path in. Um, But it kind of like was very purposeful of like, here we go. We're going here. Another example was with the Alan Watts. I, I we, I was like needing to buy some clothes. Oh, this is maybe we, we'll talk about the Dalmer style book as well, but I was needing to buy some clothes. And with, and I was like, all right, I need to go to the, I used to do a lot of shop, shopping and charity shops. And then I was just like chit-chatting with Alan Watts in my head. Um, and then it was like, okay, we're going to find you some clothes. And then we'd like walk into the charity shops and it would say, almost kind of like walk me directly up and sort of like pick me out these like very sixties clothes <laughs> and just kind of like find them in this huge charity shop, which is full of just, you know, modern clothes. It would find in the back, like the one piece of very sixties clothing. Um, so it's almost like those, are those are sort of like silly, silly examples, but it, it's kind of like, that's how it came through in day-to-day, in t- day-to-day stuff
0: yeah like something was literally guiding you to a place a destination or some object that was for was meant to it was sitting there waiting for you yeah yeah that's interesting uh would you say that growing up your experience or just like being the experience of you of who you are would you say that you fall more on the introverted or the extroverted side of things
1: when I was younger, I was definitely much more extroverted I was just very well I've always had a quite a strong split between my personality, where on the outside, I've always seemed very sort of like happy mm. and generally like got on super well with people, and then on the inside had quite a lot of like storminess and and depression and difficulty. And so I used to be extrovert when I was younger, and then, like while going through this process, I've become a massive introvert because my inner experience is super nice now, and I could just hang out,
0: oh, that's nice, yeah the the reason I ask is because I often think about it um as uh you're having these conversations with somebody in your head alan watts in your head and for a lot of people uh, this was fascinating for me to find out but the, the experience of being in your own mind is different for people and some people they don't they don't even have a voice let alone two voices that can have a conversation and then you know some people don't have images some people don't have um some people like for me i can't produce music externally but inside my head i can produce very. Uh, almost audible music that I can hear. and um it just all these things that you're talking about make me wonder because um when you're talking about going through these experiences where you said for about three months you were just you just felt like you were very present in the moment. and um I would actually say that I'm experiencing that more now than ever in my life, and there's a part of me that's really grateful for it because it's so much calmer, there's so much less storm internal storm going on you know i can just sit and not have to think but at the same time um for me my whole life i felt like an introvert and um more more less from like a, i'm not talking necessarily about like the modern kind of pop interpretation of introvert versus extrovert where a lot of people like to think that an introvert is somebody who prefers to be alone and an extrovert is somebody who prefers to be with other people but uh, the way that I understand it from from Carl Jung's reading is more that an introvert experiences the world first through themselves. They interpret the world through themselves, and an extrovert interprets themselves through the world. And so uh, Carl Jung breaks it down really simply where like an introvert is a thinker and an extrovert uh, is a feeler. And so for me, getting to the point where I'm not thinking so much it means that obviously I have to feel more because there's not a lot of thoughts going through my body and so, or in through my mind. And so I'm just sitting with my experience and sitting with the feelings that are with me. And um, it's this balancing that takes, You know, if you're an introvert, then the healing process or the maturation individuation process actually means that you need to become more extroverted. And if you're an extrovert, it means you need to become more introverted. And so just you talking about this whole experience, it sounds like um, it sounds like you're actually bouncing back and forth, experiencing both, which is really interesting. It's it's uh, I mean, the other part of it is just that you've gotten to this point where you can talk about it and you can laugh about it and you've turned it into something productive and creative and uh, something that's even good for other people, um, which, you know, uh, I don't know how any other way to say it, but like, good job. Like, good job because you could have you could have easily just been freaked out by those things and not been willing to confront them and then ended up like a lot of people who you know who who just can't handle so well done
1: yeah totally I think as you're saying that it's almost like that I saw that as the almost like the purpose of a lot of that more um the sort of like conversations I was having as much as anything was to keep me at looking out, um, in a way where there was, you know, I was going through such deep territory and kind of like really upending everything, um, about like what reality is and how it's experienced and, um, that no one else could understand it or connect to it. And there's a way that I think if I'd have just only gone in, I would have, um, well, I don't know. I, I mean, I think on a positive end of the scale, like that, it could have come out. Okay. But I wouldn't have had the capacity that I have to understand how that interfaces with like consensus reality, social reality, all of these things. It was almost like that was a, a sort of like a, um, Yeah, it was always quite a sort of lighthearted, jokey, fun part of experience. (laughs) I didn't take too seriously and that just kept me in sort of like, kept things flowing in a dialogue with like, how does this relate to other people and how other people see and what other people think and consensus reality and all of those things. Um, It's almost like not, it was almost like a replacement for a real version of that until that could sort of start coming back online and I could start sort of slowly interfacing back in with with uh real people.
0: Yeah, with real people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it's fascinating. It's um it's definitely I can see that it was just this process of integrating um things that that needed to be integrated. And it seems like uh, maybe similar to me, you just it was such a fascinating experience and you felt like you learned so much, you grew so much that this just became what you were interested in this became what you wanted to share with other people and uh i want to come back to your story because i think it is a good transition into um your book so you you walked into this uh you care you call it a charity shop yeah it, here in the states we call it a thrift store but it's the same idea nice. yep. um, mm-hmm. and um, so there's stuff hanging and it's probably just there's a clothing section but there's also all sorts of other things but for whatever reason this uh this was alan watts or this voice inside of you that's like guiding you to this specific item of clothing um and so you you've written this book uh dharma and style dharma coming from the buddhist philosophy and then style obviously being you know a personal personal preference i guess i would love to get your thought or just like what's a quick synopsis of the book uh how could it help people and and also um beyond this one story where you're picking out sixties clothes, like what was, uh, what inspired you or what, what was so interesting about it to you?
1: Yeah. So I think almost going back to the thing I was saying right at the start, there's a way that I, it, it's like, I, f- I feel like my experiences that I've had are for me. And then there's kind of like what I've learned and what I want to share with people. And there's a sense of like, really wanting to meet people where they are and translate things into people's daily life and how that can change. So, um, yeah, the sense of the Dharma being almost like the the sort of true nature of things and how they are and how we are in the world. Um, and that to me includes people's like daily life, daily experience. Um, and it just feels like there's a way in which the way that we kind of like hold ourselves the way that we dress it's sort of it's like an expression of who we are and so it just felt like a way to connect with people in their daily life and think about like if you can sort of change how you relate to yourself in when you're choosing what what you're wearing then um that can kind of like start to change how you relate to experience and um yeah has this sort of like it's it's almost kind of like a subtle subversion of capitalism is some of the kind of underlying um impetus for it where it's like you know rather than trying to like either sort of like trying to look better than people or like trying to um yeah clothes being this sort of like status thing or it being just the thing of like oh i don't care about it i can't be bothered it's almost like a sense of dignity in um yeah like it's nice to really connect to the your beauty as a person and think about like what helps foster that in you what helps foster things like yeah self esteem self worth um how can that be expressed in the world like what and there's just a few there's a few kind of like technical things around like dressing well for your body and nice colors and things like that, I think would would kind of help people with that. But there's also like this philosophy of, yeah, relating to yourself as this expression of the divine or it relating to your true nature, whatever that is to you and thinking about like, how can that be something that can be expressed kind of beautifully and in a way that feels comfortable?
0: Yeah, that's, I think it's really interesting. One of the reasons is, is like what you mentioned around um, just what's available out there. And when you think about a human being and just being yourself, we don't get to just be ourselves because we put clothing on, which is kind of a weird way to think about it, but we have to like disguise ourselves in a way. And so what you put on actually matters, um, both for how other people perceive you, but also just how you perceive yourself and how you feel about yourself. And in a world where everything is mass produced, it's really easy to just wear what's uh, expected of you, given your socioeconomic status, given the place you live, given the job you work, you know, given the friends you hang out with. Um, And for me, for me, I've always seen it as as like. In in almost everything in life, but I saw I've seen it a lot in clothing is like there are people who definitely care too much and there are definitely people who don't care enough. And this idea of you, of what you're saying about, um, dignity, like just something about clothing just shows that you care about yourself in a way that's like, you, you do care about presenting yourself. You do care about, um, not even, it doesn't even have to be what other people think, but just that you care about what you think about yourself. Yeah. Are there any specifics that you want to share from the book, uh, about, I I don't know, the type of. Advice that's available, or the type of ideas that you share, or just something that might pique at somebody's interest to um to go pick it up themselves further.
1: Yeah, I guess as it's almost like um, so there's like eight eight tips that are more practical, and I think if you're interested, I would say read, have a read and see. Um, and then there's also some practices around. I think what you were just saying. Then it's like, for example, um practices around, and it ties into what we were saying about like feeling things and the, being connected to like processing your emotions and the roots of, of things. Um, one of the practices in there is based on Doug Tatarin's bioemotive framework, which is where you, he identified like nine words, um, that people that were the most sort of like painful things that people experience during his psychotherapeutic, um, practice. And then the practice is essentially to kind of like say them out loud while you're in a meditative state, while you're regulated and see what the impact is on you. Um, and yeah, one of the practices I put in the book at the end was like practicing with things like saying, Oh, I feel beautiful wearing this or, um, you know i feel comfortable or um yeah and just sort of like making space or equally on the other side just seeing processing if there's things that need to be processed around like oh i feel ugly or i feel fat or um you know whatever words come up and like giving yourself space to kind of like feel these i guess sort of like societal messages that that people have received about who they are um and like process some of that emotion because yeah, it's almost like as much about that inner experience of feeling good in your clothes as it is about like wearing nice clothes. That kind of, um, it's about creating that whole, that whole ecosystem within you.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It It makes sense that you would want to sit with that because you, in reality, unless somebody outright says what they think about. The way you've presented yourself you don't actually know what the way that they presented or the, the way that they think that you've presented yourself or their opinion about it and so it really is just like most things it's it's like the struggle that's taking place inside rather than what's actually going on in in the external world yeah we're moving through this really quickly so i want to give you time to talk about um imaginal journeyings mm-hmm. i've read i've read about it online and i've I kind of encountered it that way But beyond that, I don't, I don't know exactly um, how it works or what the organization is, or, you know, um, so maybe you could just help me first by, by explaining kind of the objective or the purpose, and then how is this structured and how is, how is it managed or like, what is the actual, um, the event that takes place?
1: The main thing that it's about is that this kind of um, aspect of experience, the imaginal aspect which yeah, people like Jung have have talked about um, is essentially yeah repressed or not often connected to, included, understood in our society. And um, it's essentially a sort of very loose group of people who are all doing work, have all sort of touched on this in their own way and doing work to essentially bring in the benefits of being connected to this part of experience. Um, and yeah, lots of people are doing lots of different projects that are sort of like self They're they're kind of like in their own, in their own worlds, expressing it in different ways through academia or, um, yeah, looking at like healthcare systems, or for me, it's very much this sort of kind of meditative spiritual practice area. And in terms of an organization, yeah, it's very loose. We just it's almost more like a loose network of people. And then we get together occasionally for retreats and kind of work, like support each other and um yeah, do practices together that are designed to kind of help each other like cross-pollinate and and figure out and yeah, unlock experiences and things and ways of looking. Um and Yeah, I think it's interesting. It's almost like everyone it it, it's a sense of people who have had and it kind of ties it ties a lot of this conversation together where it feels like eventually the sort of purpose of a lot of the experiences that I had were it was almost like seeing through how um actually this sort of like abstract realm that you know can have these um sort of more unusual spiritual experiences or things like that it's essentially all the imaginal realm it's this space where anything sort of like outside of this present moment and this physical reality that we can kind of like measure in a very solid way has this sort of imaginal component um in which yeah everyone's sort of like world building and creating ways of being in the, inside of them um, and so, yeah, a lot of my teaching is kind of like getting people in touch with that part of experience, um, without them having to go through all the sort of, uh, more intense stuff that I went through, I guess.
0: In a sense, using the imaginal, the imagination to, to look at things differently or to, to, or to create, you know, in a sense that that creation alone, that spending time in the imagination and creation alone can be beneficial to people, or it can be beneficial to like, uh, the, the broader group of people, society or systems or structures, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, this is every, (laughs) everything you talk about is interesting, but, um, this is, it's like stuff that I've been thinking about lately. And I was having a conversation with my wife, even this morning about this, where the world that we live in today, we have a lot of, tradition and we have a lot of um, moments that are supposed to be meaningful from like an education perspective a lot of religions have moments that are supposed to be meaningful like a baptism or a coronation or like some kind of advancement we do it through school we do it through business Um, uh, I just I had a, a guest on earlier this week Rick Belden who was talking about it in terms of you know, you go get a driver's license, and the, or you go get your first job when you're an adolescent, and all of a sudden you you've kind of matured to this next stage. But in a real sense, there's not a lot of ritual. Particularly, there's not a lot of ritual that a- effectively moves the psychology of a child into adulthood in our society. Whereas in the past, a lot of cultures, especially more um, ancestral cultures, that more um, you know, what we would consider primitive cultures, they had these rituals that would move young people through this painful experience. They would move them into adulthood where they were much more, uh, it was as if they were then ready to, you know, take on life or, or be a part of the tribe in an effective way. And I think about it in terms of today, we don't have, we don't really have those rituals. So there's a lot of people who end up in their late twenties, mid thirties, even into their forties. And some people never do it where they make that transition from seeing the world through a childlike lens to actually experiencing the world as an adult. And it seems to me that the mechanism for that process today is creativity. And as you're talking about this, I'm just seeing it in, you know, I've been using the word creativity, but you're using the word imagination or imaginal. And it seems that maybe I've been limiting Uh, my thoughts about it to things like writing, poetry, books, uh, art as a terms of painting, drawing, um, you know, acting, telling stories. But it seems that you could even think of it in a broader sense where like you mentioned healthcare and I would have never thought that using your imagination on healthcare would have been this kind of healing process, but just the way in which you described it then i thought oh yeah like if that's what somebody really cared about if that's where they put their energy and they really got into this imaginative space to create something new it it certainly could help them it could ha- definitely help them to to grow or 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 to you know help the the group in a broader sense
1: yeah yeah totally um it's almost like there's a um there's a really nice sort of concept social imaginaries and Essentially we're sort of like in always in social imaginary. So someone's idea about um their country is a social imaginary. Like what does that even mean and and what's the structures of it? Each person's sort of like meaning structure will be different around it. And then there's kind of like a shared collective one. So there's also like, yeah, as the US, it's like a social imaginary that kind of lives that everyone can, can connect to. And um it's almost like these. These structures of meaning and imagination can really affect people's health of sort of like what they think is possible. It's, it's almost like a whole ecosystem can can live around a person's, um, you know, like mental health disorder or, um, you know, like an eating disorder or things like that. You can get a whole sort of like living meaning system and how that's structured uh, sort of creates supports either the sort of like downward spiral of it getting worse or the kind of like upward spiral of healing and, and, uh, like changing the, yeah, the way that the ways that people relate to each other. Um, and there's a sense of when the imaginal is, um, like present in people's experience, you get a lot more agency because it has this sort of, yeah, creative, fluid, flexible, it's very non-hierarchical. So people's voices get heard. Um, you can say things that are more difficult because you have this sort of like metaphorical way of talking about things that, um, it's less kind of like me versus you and more like, Oh, what, what's in the water between us, um, by its nature. Um, so it sort of creates this different, a possibility for a different way of relating between people. Um, yeah. And it's almost like using that, taking that, those sorts of benefits and like putting them in different, in different um, contexts and seeing kind of like what are the tools that are needed or for people to be able to access that, um, like what's helpful for people, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like what you're saying as far as um, you said social imaginary. And so i as soon as you said that, I, I started thinking about the collective Um, But then you said the collective. And so I thought, okay, so you're separating these, the social imaginaries to an individual, even how they perceive what's happening or what the story is that they're supposed to play out. And then the collective is where everybody's stories kind of combine. And if we're not actively using our imaginations, then we're actually just following along. We're just stuck in whatever that initial understanding of reality is and uh, whatever that shared reality is. But what you're saying is with with imagination, we can see beyond that. We can see from, we can almost have like an outsider's view of what's taking place. And then that gives us a little bit more, it maybe gives us insights into how we can behave in a more healthy way, but we can also, it also gives us a little bit of permission to see that there are other ways.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. More freedom, more agency.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It makes me think a lot about, um, just going all the way back to the beginning of our conversation the world i grew up in being very religious the world you grow up in being very atheist and from from that perspective thinking that it's very rational like the the way that i grew up it was ironically is like we we all thought it was rational too but uh it wasn't until i was able to gain enough life experience where i could have an outside perspective that i could even make a change because if you're stuck you're always stuck on the inside. You There's not a lot of room for criticism. And there's also not a lot of room for new ideas because you just don't, in a way you don't have them unless you're stepping outside of that and working on that imaginal creative space. Yeah. Yeah. These ideas that I share about like creativity and that being um, kind of the path forward they're not necessarily my ideas, but like you've read Carl Jung, and you, you're probably familiar with Joseph Campbell, and um, the, other, the other author or scholar that I like to read a lot is Karen Armstrong, and they all talk about how, if you look at the history of this, the human species or the hu- of humanity, there are these phases where we participate in a story, we participate in a religion, um, we all kind of fall into the same collective thinking. There have been all these different phases where we were you know tribesmen who uh, worshipped a mother earth and then we became um more organized societies that worshipped a pantheon of gods and then all of a sudden there was like in the west we had this monotheistic idea and eventually we you know we're getting to the point where that story is also losing hold and for a lot of people you know like the family you grew up in it never had it never seemed to have had a hold and so the next phase then, the next transition of where we all have to go as far as humans, what's going to take us forward is the same thing that's always taken us forward, which is imagination, which is like mm. spending some time figuring out what the next story is going to be that we can all we can all adopt. But in a in a very union way, we all have to do it for ourselves first. And we're all going to do it on the inside rather than the outside.
1: Yeah, lovely. I love that. Um, the way you describe it feels very resonant with how i relate to the divine intelligence as well it's sort of like the creative and i guess another way to say it would be kind of like the creative force behind the whole thing that's um just continually uh creating something new moving us forward going through these different kind of like vast phases and yeah discovering new new parts of the universe
0: yeah it's pretty fascinating it's um if if evolution is the is the reality then the human species seems to be like that the really the tip of that spear and this divine intelligence this universal intelligence is using us to almost as as these little (laughs) like guinea pigs to try to figure it out and um, for a lot of people it feels like we should be at the end of the story but nobody's ever been at the end of the story we're just at some phase of it and so in a real way, we just have to accept that and, uh, enjoy kind of just try to enjoy whatever experiences we can have as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are up at the hour. And so I really appreciate this Rosa. I thought it was fantastic. I mean, you, your willingness to share your experience and then also the insights. I think that, uh, more of this is needed in the world. So I really appreciate your, your life and then your willingness to share it.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been super nice.
0: Yeah. If, if people want to find you, um, if they want to listen to your podcast, find your website, read your book, where do they go? Where should they look?
1: Yeah. Everything's on rosalewis.co.uk. So you can find me there.
0: Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Explorer Poet Podcast, exploring the blurry line between our physical world and our abstract realities. I hope you find this and every episode worthwhile. To find links to my guest websites and social media accounts, and for all Explorer Poet content, please visit my website, explorerpoet.com. You can also follow on Instagram at Explorer Poet, or on Twitter at Explorer Poet Pod. If you have comments or suggestions, please send an email to explorerpoet at gmail.com. Please follow and rate the podcast on your favorite app. And if you really, really want to be supportive, please share an episode with a friend. Thanks again.